Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. That's the securities rights governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show, everybody. Silker Joe Show, co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while he is still dealing with the painters at his house. We thought he'd be done by now, but um, as it turns out, he wasn't. Then again, as I mentioned last week, we thought he'd be done by Thursday, but as it turns out, he wasn't. So we'll see. He suspects tomorrow, but... You know, don't hold your breath <laughs> at this point. Don't bet on it. Uh, I certainly hope he comes home or he's back on the show tomorrow. But uh, alas, we'll have to see. I, like I said, I've been wrong a few times about that. So at the risk of being wrong again, I'll just leave it at we'll see. Anyway, if Alan were here with us today, he would give to you his mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. And he wants the painters out of his house. It and the Alan Nathan Show is a Main Street Radio Network production. We want to thank the Main Street Radio Network for allowing this program to exist. Sometimes uh, their clients and even management doesn't like what we have on the show, but they still stand by us and let us continue with this program always happy to do that and this program has actually been around for what 25 years now so kudos to alan for that achievement and we also want to thank the salem radio network for distributing this show now you can find out more about the main street radio network at mainstreetradionetwork.com you can find about this show on there you can find out about the silk or joe show which is my show up there as well you can also go to facebook check them out on social media main street radio network you'll find posts from alan on there perhaps posts detailing how the detailing of his house is going at this point you can also find him on twitter at alan nathan or his website alannathan.com and you can find the main street radio network on twitter as well at main street radio and let's not forget the Silker Joe Show. They are on Getter, G-E-T-T-R dot com, at Silker Joe Show. All right, Alan would be here with you, but alas, you have me, so here's mine. Government continues spending and printing money as inflation rises. Is it because they get away with injustice that they think they are untouchable? And I want to get into that injustice, because we're going to cover some of the financial and economic stuff later in the program, but uh, really a lot of injustice is going on between the Biden administration and corporate America, you'd think that, uh, especially during the season of Lent, which is uh, crucial to Christians, that uh, they'd show some support. But no, they seem to be okay with hatred and uh, racist attacks against Christians. After the Nashville shooting, for example, that was a hate crime against Christians. No corporations bothered to show solidarity, though. You might recall that uh, during the George Floyd riots, uh, that all sprang out with corporations sowing support for the black community just because one person got knelt on, right? Well, three people got, three children got shot, three others got shot and de- and killed in the Nashville shooting, Christians all. It was an attack against Christians. It was a hate crime against Christians. The shooter's own manifesto admitted that as much. Not one person cared as far as the corporations go, the same ones who are quick to jump quick, quick to jump on any other issue. They totally ignore that one. Gee whiz, they're the ones out there giving a beer can because some person was pretending to be a girl for the last year, I guess. The because I say pretending because there's... It, it really... When you're doing male-to-female trans, I'm talking about Dylan Mulvaney, of course, There, it just really looked like this person was going overboard to... I don't know, put on a woman face, <laughs> it looked like, you know? So, and and of all the people out there who are trans, why do they show support for this person? I know some who have struggled, had real struggles with this, and yet they got no support, <laughs> not even from their own families. Well, support from me, but aside from the point, they got no support from anyone else, and yet there was no corporation out there seeking them out. No, instead this corporation picked some random YouTube star, you know, instead of, donating perhaps to a charity or some other cause, they just pick a YouTube star who spent the last year, I don't know, showing womanhood on YouTube, I guess. Uh, It's like you pick a celebrity to give all your uh, attention to instead of the people who are really having a hard time struggling, the people who have no voice. Great job. 
that uh, really doesn't do much to promote the trans rights movement at all when you just show, hey, only the popular people will get the money and stuff, so maybe you should be popular too. That's a really bad message to send to people, and it will compound whatever mental issues that they're already having and whatever crises they're having from a lack of support from their own communities, which is, in fact, what the Nashville shooter went after the Christians for. He, she, whatever, felt that uh, they were not being supportive of their transition and thought they were all against them, so decided to shoot a bunch of children because that's how they felt that they could be heard. And the trans community seemed to be behind it. And certainly the Biden administration seems to be behind it as well to an extent. Uh, but I will get to that in a second because there's some other examples I want to run down real quick. Uh, so they, the Biden administration, for example, they've labeled many things as hate crimes in the past. And they've said that uh, they were yet this time they said they were not one to comment on such matters. Right. So when asked if they think the Nashville shooting was a hate crime, because it was, the Biden administration said, nope, uh, we're not going to comment on it. Now, they, the Biden administration has been the first to label a lot of things hate crimes, even before they actually came out as hate crimes. For example, Border Patrol allegedly whipping illegal immigrants found out that didn't even happen. In fact, they knew at the time that didn't happen. They said it was a hate crime. So they're quick to label even fictitious events as hate crimes. Yet, in this case, they didn't want to take support with the Christians. And there's other examples, too. Black man ran down kids because they were white. There's no hate crime declared for that. People who firebombed a pro-life Christian pro-life pregnancy center that will not be charged as uh, terrorists under the FACE Act. Because uh, whereas if uh, you get shouted down by a protester who's pro-abortion and you resist, you will be charged under the FACE Act. Ha have a SWAT team at your house because you're a terrorist. But if you firebomb a Christian pro-life pregnancy center, you're not a terrorist, is how the Democrat Party and the Biden administration and apparently the Democrat voters seem to feel about this. It's not a hate crime if they hate the victim. And in many of these cases, they in fact go after the victims. The pro-life pregnancy center, for example, that was firebombed by liberals, that same center was immediately investigated by the liberal government of New York State. The liberal media and activist class told us that the shooter in the Nashville tragedy was the real victim and the children she killed deserved it. Let me pause right there, though. Remember how CNN said whites were the biggest terror threat? Let's uh, look at this. Four of the biggest mass shooters this year were trans. Four. Given how little of the population is trans, that means quite a disproportional percentage of trans are shooters. And a week after Nashville, a fifth member of the trans community was arrested, thankfully, before their plan to bomb a middle school and shoot children came to fruition. Again, the media covers this up while trans activists are sympathetic. You can see their rhetoric all over the internet, on, in articles, on Twitter, on social media, in the comment sections, everywhere. Oh, there's a widespread support for these mass shooters and attempted mass shooters saying that these butchers and wannabe killers just need to be heard and are the real victims, not the children whose lives they will end. Most mass killers want to be heard. That's why they write manifestos. And it seems that if you're trans, then the media will even approve of your mass shooting. The trans community is now, in fact, taking hostages. Riley Gaines, the swimmer who dared to say that biological men easily outperform biological women had to hide for three hours in a locked room because the trans activists outside assaulted her and would not release her unharmed until their demands for money were met. They told her they would kill her pretty much and let her unless she paid them off. That's called kidnapping. That is a crime. If white supremacists did that to a black, it would be a hate crime. But since trans people are allowed to shoot children, I guess it's logical they are also allowed to take hostages and hold them for ransom. Maybe someone should look into why trans people are taking hostages and blowing everyone's brains out. Maybe realize that our medical industry and activist class encourages misdiagnoses that lead to severe mental health issues. Maybe look at how these are just kids alienated from society that liberals twist to their will. Maybe toe down the rhetoric about genocide against the trans community, because guess what? There is no such thing. In fact, strictly looking at murder rates, it's safer to be trans than it is to be white. And given the recent barbaric activities by members of the trans community that seem to have much wider support than we are led to believe in the trans community, and certainly wide support from the media and the Biden administration, it's even safer than ever to be trans than be white. So instead of handling all that, you just criminalize white people, and then you have the White House press secretary come out and say trans people are under attack and they need to fight back. 
in the wake of the mass shooter who was fighting back, according to their own manifesto, the White House says, yes, you do need to fight back. Go ahead. Didn't condemn the shooting or anything. Just said trans people need to fight back. But nah, just criminalize being white and conservative. That's really all you got to do. Because guess what happened in uh, Austin, Texas, of all places? A court of leftist jurors decided that if a left-wing protester points a gun in your face, then you have no right to protect yourself. In 2020, uh, Daniel Perry, he took a wrong turn, found himself surrounded by a mob of Democrat protesters. One of them put an assault weapon in his face. Perry shot the man in self-defense because he didn't want to die. You can watch the video. He was found guilty of murder by the left-wingers and the leftist judge. Guilty of murder because he dared not be killed by leftist protesters. Thank God Governor Abbott of Texas uh, pardoned the man. But it's horrific, the flip-flop, the mismatch of justice that we have in this country. If you're against the left, you have no justice. Folks, more Alan Nathan Show after this break. This message is provided by Beringer Ingelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global Fibronir program. To learn more about Fibronir and eligibility requirements, visit fibronir-ipf.longboat.com and fibronir-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to skill 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time Ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. 
Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Al Nathan Show, everybody. Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while the painters are still working on his house, a process that he thought would have been done, what is it now, five days ago, four days ago, but it is still ongoing. Joining us now, though, who hopefully is not distracted by painters at his house, Terry Jeffrey, editor-in-chief of CNSNews.com. Prior to that, he served for more than a decade as editor of Human Events. Terry Jeffrey, always happy to have you. How are you today? Very good. Thanks for having me. All right. So right now uh, we're talking about government employment. You recently wrote about how it's uh, on the increase, even though the government spending, especially during inflation, really we should be starting to wrangle that in. What's going on here? Well, we had uh, the gov- government across the board, local, state, federal government, added 47,000 employees in March. It went from 22 22- million five hundred ten thousand people working for government to twenty two million five hundred fifty seven people working for government so i mean there's literally more than twenty two million people in the United States who work for the government that is an incredible number <laughs> that's a lot of people <laughs> a lot here. of people I'm, yeah I'm trying to do the math real quick that's like for every fifteen people there's one government employee are we getting our money's worth from that <laughs> And there's more people working the, for the government than live in most states. Mm, most states yeah. don't have 22 million people in, in their entire population. So, uh, although it is not a record, actually, the uh, the record employment was in 2010 when they had uh, 22,996,000 people working for government. But it's, it, another pattern is that when you have a census year, 2010, 2020, the federal government hires a lot of people temporarily to conduct the census. So in those years, the number of people working for government usually spikes. So we're talking about 2023 now. This is not a census year, and yet uh, you have this massive increase in the number of people working for government. Right. In fact, uh, we have an increase over the last census year, 2020. Right, right. So, uh, it, uh, yeah, we have more people working for the federal government itself now than we're working uh, during the census here in 2020. And the federal government employment went up from 2,895,000 to 2,903,000 from February to March. And back in uh, February of 2020, or March of 2020, there were 2,876,000 people the federal government. So there's more people working for the federal government now than we're working in March of 2020. Although it, it, the end, toward the end of 2020, it, it spiked up to uh, 3,158,000 people working for the federal government when they were conducting the census. Wow. And that number boils down to almost one for every hundred American citizens. There's one federal <laughs> government employee. So yep. at you'd think that uh, they'd be a lot more effective than that, especially since one person can handle quite a lot of things for 100 people, (laughs) especially in uh, government where everything is uh, supposedly ordered and all the regulations are right there. But it's just going to this wasteful, dysfunctional institution and probably don't even know what the jobs are for those 2,900,000 people. Right. I mean, mean, if you go back to... uh, January of 1989, which is when Ronald Reagan left office, uh, the uh, there were 17 million 774 thousand people working for the government. So there's more than five million people added to government payroll since Ronald Reagan left office. That's hmm. uh, I guess keeping up to the, with the population increase in the U.S., you would think that would make sense. But then you look at the actual programs and everything that the government is doing, you find that none of it makes sense. In fact, we could probably have the same staff that Reagan had and be just okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish we would actually diminish the number of people. I, I want a smaller government. I think we need fewer people working for the government. And uh, I, I think there's you know whole government agencies in the federal government specifically that uh, – the Constitution does not envision the federal government having a role in, like the Department of Education. 
education is not a federal function. I don't think the founding fathers envisioned the federal government getting involved in education, and yet now we have an education department that spends billions of dollars every year, and uh, that is not what the federal government ought to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's plenty of uh, fat that you can trim from it, and certainly a lot of wasteful other wasteful spending like you know salmon hatcheries and stuff like that <laughs> and like studying upstream migration patterns of fish you know yep. you could at least delegate that to the state level where that happens and of course there's the epa's regulations which uh, i remember from back in the obama years they had a regular they had regulations so stringent that like if you had a puddle in your backyard that could technically count as a waterway depending on where you lived right so exactly the police, <laughs> So I guess rather than being a symptom of the increasing population, this is uh, really it seems to be a symptom of increasing control by the government. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The government is doing all sorts of things it ought not to be doing, and uh, and it needs people to do it. So they're hiring people, and basically they're transferring money from me and you and everybody listening to this show to people who are working for the government. And they're also using money to it, for the functions that those people carry out that we wish they weren't doing. So uh, hopefully somebody will get a, a president and a Congress that actually reduces the number of people working for the get federal government, and hopefully on state levels we'll get governments that will reduce the number of people working for state and local governments. Mm. But with this uh, increase in happening regardless of who the who is in office, you know, we've had in the time since Reagan, yep. Republican, Democrat administrations, Republican, Democrat Congresses, it seems like the number only keeps going up. No one's actually doing anything to cut it down. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, George W. George W. Bush didn't have any problem with increasing the size of government. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, so it... Uh, so voting in might not necessarily be the best solution to the problem. And I, I guess speaking of solutions, that's actually not what these uh, government institutions are really designed to do, because if they do solve the problem, well, there you go. They just lost their jobs by doing them. Right, right. Well, I, I will say the, the number of people working for government actually decreased in the four years when Trump was in office. In January of uh, 2017, when he took office, there was 22.3 million people working for government in the United States, and uh, it went down to 21.7 million uh, by January of 2021 when he left office. So, you know, it's possible to diminish the number of people working for government, but over time, in general, we've increased it, and that's unfortunate. Well, that that makes it sound like during the Biden years, we had a really strong increase of about 800,000 just in two years. Uh, yep. At that at that rate, we can look at what, assuming it holds, 1.6 million added to government, and again at this time of inflation and high debt, where we can't pay for anything that we're doing, they're just making the government do more stuff. Yep, yep, it's not good. Mm-hmm. I don't think Joe Biden has any interest in decreasing the number of people working for government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, the, this is 47,000 that were added. Does that? Uh, that you mentioned in the article, does that even account for the uh, 80,000, 87,000 IRS agents who are being added? Well, I, I don't think they've hired all those agents yet, so <laughs> we'll so see that happen. So we already know of 120,000 that he's going to add. <laughs> yep. A, terrible. And all this rampant spending, it's like we gave them our access to our bank accounts and they're just spending our money without our consent. Uh, yep. All right, uh, Terry Jeffrey, appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show today to talk about this out-of-control spending by the government. Listeners, if you want to check out his article, it's over at cnsnews.com. It's titled, Government Added 47,000 Employees in March, Just the Month of March. More Alan Nathan Show after this break. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common. But after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? 
author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Climb puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Al Nathan Show. Vice Soaker Joe Show co-host Joe still filling in for Alan while the painters work on his house, something that should have been done Thursday, but alas, has not concluded yet. We are joined now by Michael Letts. He is CEO and founder of Invest USA, a national grassroots nonprofit for providing police with bulletproof vests. Michael Letts, always happy to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. Always a privilege to be with you, and I understand about those painters. 
<laughs> Usually takes a lot longer than they ever say. <laughs> oh yeah. Now the last week when he uh, said that he'd be done Thursday, I I was just sitting there thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I really didn't expect it to be done. I I thought it'd be done over the weekend, but then I should have realized there was a Easter weekend and all that, so no, it probably wouldn't be done. You're right. Um, Shut it down. Mm-hmm. So right now, though, law enforcement is facing a bit of an issue in this country as people are starting to lose faith in our legal system. Well, first, the left started back in 2020 trying to tear down the system actively. But then under the Biden administration, with these unequal prosecutions, where if you merely yell at and perhaps shove a uh, pro-abortion activist, suddenly the FBI shows up at your door with guns. But if you firebomb a pro-life clinic, it's not even a hate crime, apparently. So... Given this environment that we're in, it's it's understandable why people might feel that the law enforcement might not necessarily be on their side. Now, both sides of the aisle are losing faith. They really are, Joe, and they, for good cause, for good reason, because it's a reality of what you just described. Let me give your listeners a little bit more background so that they can clearly understand. This is not a one-time issue or just something that happened uh, one particular occasion. This is a pattern and a trend now across the country, especially on federal level. And it's beginning to be to get sink down into the state level, which is very scary. You take a look on the federal level. You take a look at everything from um, the Trump investigations and to classified information to the uh, Biden administration's uh, looking into classified information. Two totally distinct, separate issues. On the one issue we're talking about with Trump, you know, obviously the president himself has the right to uh, declassify. So the question is they're looking at is not was it declassified, was there any obstruction of justice? What was the uh, consequence of any of those particular uh, documents? They haven't come to any conclusions yet because, quite frankly, they're having a hard time finding anything that was wrong to begin with. The flip side, though, the Biden administration, we're talking about documents that all dealt with specific areas of national defense, such as China, such as Ukraine, such as other things. And coincidentally, and of course, it's not coincidental, but his son, Hunter, was employed by each one of those entities to provide them with additional information. That information was taken not from a president, but from a vice president at the time and put into uh, uh, homes that he had and just left there that his son was utilizing. Very black and white, but yet you can see two distinct investigations being undertaken, one actively being pursued, the other being... uh, put underneath the uh, rug for years. And they've had this information for quite a few years and done nothing with it. Mm-hmm. So you begin to see, I mean, that's just one. I think something else that's extremely uh, alarming to your listeners is uh, just recently we've had an incident in the 2020 election. You had two particular parties, individuals. One was a Democrat and one was a Republican. They both sent out almost identical word for word, the same text or the same meme to their supporters, saying, look, uh, save your time. Now, the Republicans send this out to all the Democratic friends, and the Democrats send it all to the Republican friends. Save your time. Don't stand in line. Just text your vote in. It still counts. Of course, we all know that's not true. But they have somehow determined the Department of Justice that that is interfering with an election. And so the Republican that sent it to the Democrats has now been indicted, facing 10 years in prison. The Democrats never been even brought in for questioning. Identical same identical issue. And so those are just but a few of the examples. We can literally probably be on this show for hours, and I can go over point after point after point of the same illustrations. People begin to see that and begin to say, whoa, what's going on? How come there is a two-tier justice system? Instead of just talking about it now, people are realizing it really does exist. And uh, that's a very frightful thing, because that's what banana republics do. That's what dictators do. That's what tyrants do. That's not what America does. And not only does it open the way for misbehavior by the government and the public just to accept it, because how are you going to resist the government? But it even opens the way for the public to be like, well, if the government's not going to abide by the law, why the heck do I have to abide by the law? And certainly people on the left who are at the favored end of this bias, they see no reason to act. Gee whiz, it seemed like the White House the other day was trying to justify the Nashville shooting when they were talking about how trans people should fight back against the injustice against them. That's what the Nashville shooters said that they were trying to do. And you're exactly right. And that's what they're promoting. They're promoting, and that's why I mentioned to your uh, listeners, this is not a happenstance. This is a well-orchestrated uh, narrative that they've been pushing for years. 
and that is the narrative. The narrative is they are going to weaponize and politicize agencies that deal with law enforcement to be able to impose their will on the American people. Of course, what is their ultimate objective? Their ultimate objective is to disarm the American people. And they've been doing that for some time. They've been uh, portraying that state and local law enforcement are inept, we're racist, we're uh, buffoons, can't do the job. It's interesting they have the main media uses illustrations that shows when there was riots in the past and uh, cities are being burned down. They show the police just standing there. What they don't show is the fact that the police were ordered to stand down. They had no choice but to stand down because that was part of their narrative is they can't be trusted to do their job. So the narrative they're pushing now is don't worry, the federal government can do the job. And the federal government has already said we're going to take care of this situation because we know what the problem is. The problem is guns. It's interesting, they don't say it's the people that use the guns, it's guns. So they have set the narrative that when the federal government takes over, we will go in and confiscate all the weapons and solve all your problems. problem with that is uh, they're never going to take guns from criminals. They're just going to take it from law-abiding citizens so that we cannot resist whatever the government wants to impose upon us anymore, and that's their ultimate objective. Mm. And this effect that this agenda being shoved through is having on law enforcement right now, uh, a lot of people say, well, the government might try to do that, but plenty of people in law enforcement want to carry out those orders. Well, the trouble is those people are leaving law enforcement, and the ones That's left correct. behind are the ones who, for one reason or another, would have to go along with it. Well, and that's one of the things that I greatly appreciate, Joe, your show as well, is I'm telling all my brothers and sisters across the country, the time has come that we have to stand up and decide that we're not going to abide by or enforce any unlawful or unconstitutional orders anymore. That's a tall order to say because you immediately get fired, you immediately get prosecuted as well. And quite frankly, you're correct. This is the scary part. A lot of officers are just saying, you know, we're not appreciated. We're not funded. We're not given protective equipment. Why am I doing this? I think I'll just get out and go ahead and do something uh, more productive for my family. And that's what you're seeing across the country today. Mm. And, uh, and how, does lo how do local communities react? How do they expect to... You know, enforce the law or anything like that when the police are walking out like that. You think that local communities would start showing more support, especially with the crimes increasing. But in, in, in places like New York City, for example, all they do is just stop counting things as crimes. You are correct. They, they, they just stop reporting. They figure they want people to be in the dark. But the problem is people can see now they're waking up. They realize hey, you, you brought it to New York. Let's use New York as an illustration. When they begin to see now that people going to work are just shoved off of uh, onto the uh, train tracks and allowed to be run over, I mean, they're just, they're stabbed. They just say, it is amazing how violent New York City has gotten. And it's only getting worse. And then they realize the fact that they have been defunding the police, yet they're able to come up with $10 million to put on a photo opportunity for uh, DA Braggs against Trump not to be able to utilize to help those officers, but just as a photo opportunity, it really shows a very dismal opportunity ahead for law enforcement, and it destroys their morale, and it's only going to get a whole lot worse, not better. Mm -hmm. and especially, you brought up District Attorney Bragg as the example. The public voted for this guy who downgrades more than half of the felonies to misdemeanors, and of the misdemeanors, only successfully prosecutes 29% of them. And they voted for this guy. They knew that this would happen. They voted for him just because he said he'd go after their political enemy. So again, political politicization of the Department of Justice, and the the people voted for it. They wanted it to happen. Yeah, we're still scratching our heads. Uh, not only in New York, but you take a look at Chicago. I mean, we thought we were getting excited. They had said enough crime was enough. We're getting rid of, uh, I call it our mayor, Big Beetlejuice, Lori. And we're going to start bringing uh, the crime criminal element down. And then suddenly Johnson, who's even worse than, than uh, Lightfoot was, wins in the runoff. Uh, I just, it's amazing that they wanted somebody to deal with a criminal issue, and then they picked the worst of the candidates to do so. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's like they just really have no clue as to what policies are causing the problem, and they just listen to some pie-in-the-sky rhetoric from whoever's talking, and then 
buy into, I guess, when they stop reporting things as crimes and stop prosecuting crimes anymore. I, gee whiz, uh, District Attorney Bragg, if he had his way, armed robbery wouldn't even be a crime. He wanted it to be downgraded to a misdemeanor. So now you have running around the same people we were just talking a moment ago. They want to confiscate guns, but they don't think that putting a gun in someone's face and demanding your money is anything more than a misdemeanor. You get the final word on this, Michael Etz. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We appreciate people being involved. Stay involved. We're going to win this fight. We just have to fight a little harder. All right, Michael Letts, CEO and founder of Invest USA. Appreciate you being on the Al Nathan Show today. Listeners, we still have more programming coming up after this break. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager. Jump Cloud's Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices, and cloud based options aren't ideal either. Jump Cloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end to end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year. Remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. 
I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy, it's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show by Silker Joe Show co-host Joe filling in for Alan today while he still deals with painters. I would hate to be him in his house dealing with all that, especially since he thought they'd be done Thursday. Anyway, though, joining us right now, we have Dr. Joshua Bandock. He is research fellow with the Competitive Enterprise Institute and has served as a speechwriter for cabinet and service secretaries. Dr. Bandock, appreciate you being on the Alan Nathan Show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Happy to have you. So... Uh, there's some perhaps good news, perhaps bad news with the March job gains. Uh, what do those numbers show? I think they show mixed results. So the top line data look good. We have 3.5% unemployment. That's a great number. And we have 236,000 new jobs. I think, though, if we dig a little bit deeper, that there is reason for concern. The labor force participation rate, which measures both how many people are working and seeking work, um, that's still historically low, um, and the number of new job openings decreased by 600,000 from the previous month. That indicates that a lot of employers are pulling back and saying, mm, we may not want to hire right now, or at least not hire as many people. Mm. Yeah, looking at the number right here, it's at uh, the mm-hmm. labor participation rate is at 62.6%, which is up from it only rose 2% in the last year. That's uh, not very good. That means more than two-thirds of the population that can work aren't working. Yeah, well, and so if you look at the historical high, which we reached in January 2000, it was 67.3%, uh, I think it was. And just to sort of transit this data into, like, real numbers, what that means is that millions of people who would have been working 23 years ago have stepped out of the labor force and aren't working and aren't working today. Mm-hmm. Now, have you seen what could possibly be the cause of uh, such a thing? Is that a, is it just still remnants of COVID? Is that, did we see a dramatic drop in the labor participation rate for that? That's a great question. It's, it's a combination of long-term trends and some sort of short, medium-term things that we've been dealing with. Like you said, COVID has been a factor, and we still haven't seen labor force participation rate really returned to where it was pre-COVID. Um, there are also kind of longer term, a lot of people who have just decided to, to step out of the workforce. Some of them, for example, are now reliant on Social Security disability insurance. Men in particular, there's a great book by a scholar called Nick Eberstadt, uh, Men Without Work, talks about how a lot of men working age, ages 25 to 54, have simply stepped out of the workforce. So there are some really sort of uh, long-term worrying trends for just the general health of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Well, Social Security disability, that's a bit of a trap. I know somebody who was uh, on it for a while. The health benefits yeah. were and the income that they got in the food stamps. Between all that, it was better than most entry-level jobs that they could possibly have found. That's exactly right. So there's a real disincentive to work when you can not work and earn the same or more than you would working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, it was you know I'm sitting here trying to stretch my pennies and and, to, and you know living off uh, chicken every week, whereas she's out there she's buying like you know Kobe beef and all Wagyu beef and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> dining real fancy there. So really, I, and I have a quite a good full time job. I'm a little bit above minimum wage, I think. Yet that's such a contrast between what I get when I'm slightly above minimum wage and what this person gets just on food stamps and social security disability. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's frustrating when we feel like things aren't fair. And I mean, another issue is that there are a lot of government regulations that make it harder for people to find work. 
So one that I'll point to is occupational licensing. Occupational licensing is when the government says, you need our permission slip, uh, government-issued permission slip, to do things like arrange flowers and cut lawns and things like that. And this means that millions of low- and middle-income Americans can't do the sorts of things they want to do, or it takes a lot of resource investment to do these things just to get the government's permission to do them. I could understand if it was like drilling holes in the road or construction work of some kind, but just arranging flowers you need a license for? Oh, in a lot of states, arranging flowers, uh, doing landscaping. Um, I mean, even cosmetology, so cutting hair. Um, There's a real incentive for people who are already in those industries to say, we don't want competition, so government, can you please regulate possible competitors and make them jump through all these hoops before they can even enter the marketplace? So instead of letting customers decide that you do or don't do a good job cutting hair, they just get the government to step in and say, no, you can't even try. Wow. That's... (laughs) That's a, I didn't know the government was uh, had its hands in the pie to that extent. That seems to be you know, contrary to the capitalist spirit of society to get the government involved in stopping your competition. In fact, we have laws against monopolies, but here the government is trying to create them almost. No, that's right. And, I mean, this, this impacts millions of people everywhere and uh, every year, and it hurts the least well-off the most because – Rich people, they have the time and the resources if they want to go get those degrees and certifications. A poor person doesn't have sometimes as many as four years and thousands of dollars just to get the licensing fees. So opportunities are closed off to them. And absolutely, it's against competition. And really, it's against uh, capitalism, which is one of the things that's made this country so prosperous. I was surprised the labor petition labor participation rate isn't even lower than it is with such hurdles as that. Are there any other hurdles like that that we might not be aware of uh, that are similarly baffling and alarming? Ah, well, I mean, I think what we see is there's a tendency among a certain segment of people that are involved and interested in politics and policy to want to regulate behavior um, and to remove choice from individuals. Say, you can like, you can Look at the housing market. Well, one of the reasons that housing is so expensive because a lot of places have restrictive zoning laws. So even the dollars you earn don't go as far, and that's a disincentive to really, you know, work more. Um, we have a lot of, you know, we talk about the need to have uh, cheap energy so that especially people who need to drive uh, to work, who don't have a lot of resources, can afford that. And yet we have a lot of regulations that uh, make energy more expensive and make it harder to build things like nuclear reactors, wind and solar, natural gas explanation, um, exploration, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think that, especially with wind and solar, with the government actively encouraging all that, even to the point where you have, what was it uh, J.P. Morgan, the CEO of that group the other day, coming out saying they need to use imminent domain to seize property from people to build these solar farms and wind farms. It's like, But then there's these regulations that hamper building that kind of stuff. So it's very schizophrenic approach to green energy, let alone any other kind of energy policy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and part of it's a little bit of the nimbyism, the sort of not-my-backyardness, that people like policies from afar and want them to impact them up close. Mm. Dr. Joshua Bandock, appreciate you being on the Al Nathan Show to talk about this. And listeners, uh, sorry to leave you for this hour on that note, that our government is confused and the only thing it seems to do is hamper your involvement in the labor force. But folks, we appreciate you tuning in. MainStreetRadioNetwork.com is our website. But if you want to see more about Dr. Joshua Bandock, you can go to CEI.org as well. Be seeing you. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.